This is Brain Diet, episode number 76. I'm Taylor Ann Macy, and you are listening to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain good information. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. I will admit, as I am sitting here, I am filled with a little bit of reluctance, (laughs) if I am being totally honest, because today's episode, I am doing something drastically different compared to what I normally do. I mean, of the 76 now episodes, this will be one that is a little bit different. (laughs) And so you can imagine my reluctance because I usually show up with a specific purpose and a specific idea. And while I do have a specific purpose and a specific idea, it is a little bit different than what I normally do on this podcast. What I am doing today, I have kind of alluded to all of it before on the podcast. But today, I wanted to discuss a little bit about my health and tell more of the story. I don't particularly love talking about it voluntarily. I am always willing to talk about it if someone asks me about it. But to bring my health up of my own volition, I don't know that it is always valuable to talk about it. (laughs) And like I said, I've alluded to it before on the podcast, but I try not to dwell on it too much unless I believe it will bring value. And today I believe that telling the story of my health will bring value of some kind to some people. So if you don't have any interest in hearing my story, that is totally fine. You can skip this episode. I have a number of reasons for telling the story, the full story in this episode. One of the first reasons, or the first reason rather, is that one of the most important things that was most life-saving, literally, to me, was resources of knowledge. I had access to doctors who were experts and very knowledgeable. I had awareness of myself and of resources. (laughs) I was able to get connected with other people. And there was one person in specific that I was able to connect with that was life-saving for me. Um, I was able to connect with a person that shares the same disease that I have. And that was invaluable to me to be able to connect with someone given the rare nature of what I have not to mention the empathy of someone who understood. Now, this podcast has a fairly wide reach. And knowing that I might have access to international ears makes me want to at least share a little bit about this 
for the sake of spreading some awareness, spreading some insight, and spreading hope and love and empathy. So, I mean, whether or not you have the condition that I have, I hope that you can understand in my desire to share hope regardless of what a person is struggling with. So it is somewhat of an awareness episode. Now, the second reason that I am doing this is because many of us have been or will be diagnosed with something. And the range of severity may be wide, but it seems in today's day and age, there are a lot of diseases and a lot of them that can be a little bit scary. And there is quite an emotional response that happens to any type of diagnosis. And whether it is for ourselves or for someone that we love, there is an emotional package that comes along with getting a diagnosis, you or someone that you love. And because it is more or less inevitable, I wanted to do this episode today to help facilitate if you are in that position, or one day if you might be that you might have some tools in your back pocket to keep in mind that you can have a small mental health support system in this episode that will aid you because any type of aid in these situations is helpful because there's so much that's going on. For me to have a mental health support system amidst everything I've been going through has been the make or break part for me, the the make part. (laughs) It has been what has made it tolerable and survivable amongst other things, but it has been crucial. So I wanted to offer tools that may aid you. Should you get a diagnosis? Should someone you love get a diagnosis? Or should you have one currently that maybe is difficult for you? So today is going to be a bit of a storytelling episode. And just for the sake of context, really, to give a little bit of background to, I don't know, create a little bit more awareness of what it is. I certainly didn't know when I first heard. And having a lack of knowledge and having people surround me with a lack of knowledge definitely led to a sense of feeling a little bit of loneliness. And that's why awareness is powerful. And I I will have to monitor myself because rambling will be my instinct here. Because again, this is really different and storytelling. So anyway, I'm going to tell you this with the hope that it might be valuable for someone. And I hope that I can also teach you tools, regardless of what health conditions you are dealing with, that will help you and share some ideas that I have implemented since all of this has happened that has been really helpful. And I'm sure I've said a lot of words over and over again. Again, here goes the rambling, but I will try to be as concise as possible. In 2019, I had gotten a cold. It was October of 2019. I had gotten a cold, regular, run of the mill, and a few days in, something felt a little bit funny with my eyes. It felt as if I had put the wrong contact in each eye. Like it it was very minor and felt just a little bit uncomfortable. I had assumed it was sinus pressure that was just affecting my vision or something. And it got worse over the course of two, maybe three days. And so one evening I went to an Instacare and they were noticing that my eyes weren't tracking together so I couldn't follow moving objects. And the doctor said 
take ibuprofen. It's likely that it could be some muscular fatigue, that your eyes are fatigued for some reason, and so they aren't quite operating in tandem. The next morning, I woke up and my eyes weren't working. I couldn't keep them open. I, if I tried, I didn't have a sense of balance. I could not see straight. When people talk about not being able to see straight, that was literally what it was. It's like could not see straight. So I couldn't keep my eyes open. I quickly, that morning, went to see an ophthalmologist, wondering what in the world was happening with my eyes and why they weren't working. She quickly detected that there was something going on much more severe than could be treated by ibuprofen. So the next day, I got an MRI of my brain to see what was going on. And based on what this ophthalmologist found, she then wanted an MRI of my spine, which I got the day after that. I joked with my friends and family that after I'd gotten the MRIs in the interim while I was waiting to see the neuro-ophthalmologist that I had a chocolate chip stuck in my ear, all the while having extreme difficulty with my eyes, but assuming it was something minor. Although with every passing minute, I kind of had a gut feeling that it wasn't. And when I met with the neuro-ophthalmologist shortly after receiving that second MRI, she sat down to show me my scans on her computer and she was running her mouse over the multiple lesions that filled my brain and spinal cord. She called it diseased white matter and that was one of those moments in life that they talk about where everything kind of stands still, where the rest of what she said just went in one ear and out the other. I was surprised. And, you know, you can imagine a whole range of emotions as I was being shown that my brain and spinal cord were already showing what looked to me like a lot of damage. (laughs) I mean, lesion was such a scary word. And I had a lot of them. So this neuro-ophthalmologist referred me to a specialist. And I called that day and I wasn't able to get an appointment for six months. I didn't know any better. Again, I wasn't aware of anything. I didn't necessarily know what to do here, but I was kind of talking to everybody that I knew about it. I'm asking for opinions. I don't know what. It was such a weird time. But a dear, dear friend of mine that I went to high school with worked at the time for a neurologist. And I think it might have even been the day that I had seen the lesions on the scans, it just was a whole slew of communications with various people that led to this friend of mine that works that worked for a neurologist to reach out to me and say, hey, give me your scans. I had them digitally and I will show them to this neurologist that I work for. So, you know, I did. I gave him the scans and he took them to the neurologist and I think he called me that same night and said can you come in tomorrow (laughs) it worked out to where this friend had had an in with this neurologist was able to show him my scans and I was able to meet with him before the office even opened the next day 
It was then that I started to wonder if a neurologist was looking at my scans and wanted to see me as immediately as the next day before an office opened when I knew relatively how busy neurologists were, that there was something, again, going on a little bit more than perhaps what I imagined or what I thought was. So the next morning, I found myself with my husband, Ben, sitting in this office chair, and he gave me the diagnosis of NMOSD, which is an acronym for Neuromyelitis Optica Spectrum Disorder. After he gave me this diagnosis, it seemed that everything snowballed into two weeks of kind of a blur later that I was sitting in a cancer center being treated via a chemotherapy infusion that I now do indefinitely. To give a little bit of an explanation about the disease, because there was so much that I didn't understand about it, and there's a lot that I still don't understand about it, but I'm really trying to learn and educate myself. NMOSD is an autoimmune disorder, and it affects the central nervous system, namely the brain, spinal cord, and the optic nerve. So what that means is that the body attacks itself in those specific areas. When the optic nerve and the spinal cord are the target of attack, it leads to blindness and paralysis, as well as a slew of other symptoms since, hello, the brain and spinal cord are kind of the hub of a lot of important things in the body. NMOSD is considered a rare disease, and there are only 15,000 people in the United States that have it. I learned that it is more common among women. It can affect people of all ages. There is no cure for this disease. And what occurred for me when I woke up and couldn't see, that's what is referred to as a relapse or event or attack. There are attacks that happen where the body attacks itself in those areas that I named, and then there is damage that is done. So current treatment protocols for this disease are rather limited, as you can imagine, due to the rare nature of this disease. And treatments right now are unable to heal any damage that the body inflicts upon itself. Treatments are merely an effort to prevent the body from doing further damage down the road. So what that means for me is that the lesions that I have, I will always have. They are remnants of attacking that's been done. They are scars that, as you know, with scars externally on the body, they don't quite heal. I mean, they can heal from being inflamed, but they don't necessarily ever go away. For me, because I was able to get access to the necessary drugs to stop my body from doing more damage, Within two weeks of my initial relapse versus waiting the six months for the original specialist, it is likely that I have prevented subsequent relapses because of the rapid nature of assessing things and getting into treatment. The chemotherapy infusion that I receive suppresses my immune system, so it stops attacking my body. This condition is very aggressive and can be alarming due to the nature of the symptoms. And it frankly is really 
quick in that you can go to bed feeling normal and wake up blind. For me, I didn't wake up blind, but I did wake up and my eyes weren't working. (laughs) So this condition, prevention of further attacks is the best thing a person can do, meaning accessing adequate care as soon as possible is the most important thing. And that's what I was lucky enough to access when I did. The cause of NMOSD is really unknown, which is the case for a significant amount of inflammatory autoimmune diseases, which can be frustrating as it prevents us from preventing it, not knowing the cause. For how it's been explained to me, the limited treatment options available right now don't necessarily stop everything from happening. It doesn't stop the disease in its tracks. The drugs are just able to prolong the time between relapses. So I could have had a relapse in a few weeks or a few months. And because I've had access to these treatments, it has now been two years for me since that initial relapse, or almost two years rather. And these drugs are prolonging the time before the next attack might happen. I receive regular chemotherapy infusions of this specific cocktail, and I always will. And right now, my symptoms are stable. Symptoms that occur as a result of the attack can sometimes lessen and lighten up over time. Some will be permanent. For me, the symptoms that I have had, some have been permanent and others have adjusted as time has gone on. As far as my eyes go, thank heavens, they have adjusted to a stable level that I am able to function normally, and it is not even close to as severe as it was the morning that I woke up and they weren't working. I still have some difficulty, but I have really figured out how to manage it, what to be aware of, what certain things will aggravate it and trigger it. I also have a great cocktail of oral medications that I take daily that help keep my eyes stable. A symptom for me that started and has been pretty permanent is urinary and bowel retention, which luckily I've been able to somewhat manage with medication, but it is still a part of what I deal with every day. And that will be one that likely will always be there and isn't something that will ever heal or fix. It's just something that I love to deal with and that's okay. I have continued to get MRIs to monitor the lesions. And though over the last year they are showing up as having increased, I have not had a drastic increase in symptoms and I have not had a severe relapse. What's been the most strange about what the scans are saying is despite my scans not looking necessarily optimistic, I am physically stronger than ever. I talk about CrossFit on this podcast and I laugh at myself that I became one of those people that talks about CrossFit. But the reason that it really is so important to me is because it's truly I think it is truly one of the key things keeping me alive. 
challenging my body to strengthen itself every day to 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 lift heavy things and to to push my cardiovascular system i believe that that is one of the most important things in keeping me alive. I don't know for sure. There's so much that I don't have control over. But you bet the things that I do have control over, I am going to be going hard to make sure that I do my very, very best. And that is one of them. My neurologists also agree that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why my scans look the way they do and why my body is physically the best it has ever been. I mean, not only am I functioning, but I am increasing in my strength and capability. Now... (laughs) I will still be monitoring my brain and spinal cord via MRI. I still visit with my neurologist on a regular basis in order to keep very close tabs on every single symptom that I have. I still receive my chemotherapy infusions and will until more research is done. I will continue to do what I'm doing forever if nothing else happens. All right, let's take a deep breath, everybody. Now that I have told that very in-depth story that was probably much more than you cared to know, but I felt the need to share, (laughs) I want to teach you what I learned along the way and what I am still learning and implementing. The first is, like I said, that a mental health support system is key. If you have some type of diagnosis, if someone you love has some type of diagnosis, if you are the the relative of the person, you still need a mental health support system. I think everyone, period, needs to have a mental health support system. And by that, I mean a life coach and or a therapist. I think everyone, period, needs one of those. It is extra important when you're going through something like this to have a mental health support system, to have access to someone who can help you properly process what is going on for you. I think that is one of the reasons why I was really able to to be present with all of it as in the beginning stages when it was all happening and scary and I was you know, being filled with these drugs that were making me so severely sick and I was still able to function at a certain level. It's because I had access to good coaches and good coaching tools to help me navigate everything. So if you have received a diagnosis or if you have someone you love that has, get a coach or a therapist. Frankly, I shouldn't even have to make the caveat if you have a diagnosis. You should just have a coach or a therapist, (laughs) my personal opinion. But in a situation like this, there's so much happening mentally and emotionally, in addition to physically, that having someone be able to walk you through it is imperative. The next thing that I want to share is that with something like this, there is an element of awareness that comes with how much you really don't know what the future will hold. The truth is we never know what is going to happen in the future. We never know if we are going to wake up tomorrow or not. We never know if we are going to wake up and still be able to see or still be able to walk. But we get so accustomed to certain things that we assume that those things won't happen to us. And so our awareness of our lack of control over the future tends to dim a little bit. It is only when we have grand things happen to us that it really comes into the forefront of our awareness, how little control we have over the future. 
So though it is always true, there can be an increase in fear and anxiety over what might happen. And what I want to offer here is the answer is to always return back to what you can control. And in some instances, it is very much a day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute operation as you try to navigate things like this. But it's important to remind yourself, what can I control now? And how do I want to show up around the things I can control? You have so much capacity within you to be able to control what you can and be willing to face what you can't. And sometimes that's difficult to see, but recenter yourself on what you can control and trust that the universe is going to take care of itself. Now, the next piece that I want to offer here that is incorporated into the emotional roller coaster that tends to follow with something like this is to feel what you are feeling first. Whatever emotions come up for you, I don't want you to try to be positive. I don't want you to try and look at the bright side. I don't want you to do anything different other than feel what you are feeling. It's likely that there will be very intense emotions, maybe grief or devastation. And it's very important that you stay with those emotions. Don't try to talk yourself out of them. Don't try to be positive. That's what I refer to as toxic positivity because it ends up making everything feel even worse in the end. So stay very present with what comes up for you. It's very cleansing and it's very healing in the long run to be as present as possible with whatever emotions come after something like this happens. The next thing that I want to offer is in relation to our vision of the future. We make plans. I made plans. I made plans for how many children I was going to have. And in my head, I really thought that was how it was going to go. I thought we were going to have four children, that they were each going to be a little less than two years apart, and I would be done before I was 30. It was the perfect plan. I was so thrilled with it. I thought it was magical and beautiful. And upon receiving this diagnosis and upon learning that I have to receive these chemotherapy infusions at regular intervals, upon learning a whole world of information of stuff, it became clear to Ben and me that having more kids after these first two wasn't going to be an option, at least not right now, and at least not in the way that I had thought it was going to go, not in the way that I had planned. The truth is, I was always going to get diagnosed with this disease. I was always going to wake up that morning and my eyes weren't working. That was always going to happen. I just didn't know that. I had just thought that my plan was reality. I had thought that that's how it was going to go. I didn't know that it was always going to go this way. And I was very surprised that it went this way. But it was always going to go that way, despite my surprise. The way that things happen, my friends, is how it was always going to happen. COVID, coronavirus, basically shutting down the world. Did you know it was always going to go that way? We didn't know that. We'd made all sorts of plans for 2020, all sorts of vacations and weddings and graduations. They were never going to happen. We just thought they were. We thought 
our plan is reality and it wasn't. So we have to give space for ourselves to mourn our original plan. I still am mourning my plan that I didn't get to have number three kid and number four kid in the timeline that I thought I would and I might not get to period. There's a part of me that's sad about that. And I'm not in any rush to run away from that grief, but I just allow that to be there. And I'm sad that it didn't go the way that I had planned. So whatever your plan was, mourn that plan. Give space to yourself to mourn that plan. The next piece to this is there's going to be a lot of people who ask questions. And people are so well-intentioned when they come to you asking questions. I have found that most people will come to me and ask some version of, are you getting better? Are you feeling happier? Are you healing? Do you have answers? They essentially are asking for a positive response. (laughs) And the short answer to all of those is no, I'm not getting better and I never will be. Am I feeling happier now? I'm feeling happy sometimes and sad sometimes. Is my body healing? Kind of, but not really. (laughs) When are you going to be done with your treatments? Well, never. How was your last one? Well, it was horrible. I got really sick. (laughs) People want to hear good news and you can understand why. We can identify this in ourselves where we tend to want others to feel better. And the reason for this is ultimately so that we can feel better. It's kind of like when a child is having a tantrum, like you want them to stop and be really happy so that you can be happy, so that you don't have to feel stressed, right? Now, if you are familiar with my work, nothing else outside of you determines how you feel. It's how you are thinking. A screaming toddler doesn't make you feel stressed. Your thoughts make you feel stressed with how you are thinking about that screaming toddler. But most people don't know that. Most people feel sad that you are struggling and they want to feel better. And so they want you to tell them that you are feeling better so that they can feel better. (laughs) And we can understand that. You can understand that. And you can love people for their good intentions. You can even take a guess where they are coming from when they are asking those questions. It's likely because they love you, because they care about you, because you are important to them in some way. So how do you respond to something like that? You don't have to sugarcoat things. You don't have to lie. I think that people really appreciate honesty when it comes to stuff like this, but that also doesn't mean that you have to go into detail if you don't want to. What I do is I just prepare myself with generic answers for when people ask me questions like, are you getting better? Are you happy? Are you healing? Are your treatments over with? My generic answer is we are figuring things out. Thank you so much for asking. We are really working to figure things out (laughs) because then I don't have to lie. But I also am not sugarcoating it. And I also don't have to go into detail if I don't want to. Now, like I said, for anyone that has ever asked me about it, I am so happy to talk about it. And I am open to talk about it. And I feel like it's it's healthy to talk about it. But there are times when sometimes it's just not you're not in the mood and that's okay. So have your generic answers in place for what you want to say when people come asking questions. It can be really helpful just as a little extra aid to help you. The last thing that I want to offer here is later on, after the initial emotional roller coaster has kind of come and gone, and there are are always going to be a lot of intense emotions, I would imagine, if you are similar to me. 
But later on, after the initial piece of it has kind of subsided and the water has calmed a little bit, you ask yourself the question, how could this serve me? If you ask that question and it brings any negative emotion, you are not in a place to ask it. So go back to feeling what you're feeling, just like I mentioned earlier. Feel what you're feeling. Don't try to change it. And every once in a while, try to ask yourself this question again. How could this serve me? And I'm not talking about trying to just be positive. Oh, this could be really helpful for me or this could just go into the space of toxic positivity. That's not what I want you to do. This question is kind of a quiet one and it's a curious one and it's not trying to be like over the top happy. It's trying to look at this from a more objective standpoint when you can ask it when you are ready it gives you a small peek into your amazingness recently I coached a person who had gotten a DUI and this DUI had brought to their attention so many things they wouldn't have otherwise realized Now, would this person have chosen to get a DUI? No. But did it serve them even if it was painful? Absolutely. There are things that have come from this condition for me, even in two short years, that have been really beneficial for me. It has been beneficial for my growth and it has challenged me in a way that I would not have otherwise been challenged. It also is something that I can use to help others that might not have had the resources that I had. I have this podcast and I want to use it, at least in this episode, for one reason, to raise a little bit of awareness. To maybe reach one set of ears in one country across the world that this might ring a little bit of a bell. That right there is very important to me, that I am able to use myself in a way that might benefit other people, that feels very aligned with who I want to be. And it might not have been as powerful had I not had this condition to try and help people. I might not have been able to help people in such an impactful way. So asking yourself that question when you are ready to ask it can be very powerful. My friends... If you have a diagnosis, if someone you love has a diagnosis or some health condition that is scary, you are so much more powerful than you think. You will have no idea what you are made of until you go through something like this. And that in and of itself is a powerful lesson. So keep in mind, my friends, that there is always hope, there is always help, and there is always something beyond our understanding that will work in our favor. Friends, keep in mind, if you are interested in working with me, you can apply at the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I truly love all of you. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 